Blog Talk Radio. Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Gentlemen, this is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Great to be with you. Just wanted to pop on the air today and say hello to everybody. We have been gone for the last week, as you know, and uh, we will be gone again, most likely, in the days that lie ahead. But we have some really important information we wanted to share with you and, you know, get into the word a little bit. Uh, For those of you that will be tuning into this broadcast at another time, I want you to know right up front that this coming weekend, Friday, the 20, 20th, 22nd, Friday the 22nd of October, uh, Chris and Maxine Brochu from Canada, who are missionaries around the world, uh, most mostly to Africa, will be joining us here at New Wine Ministries in Northwest Arkansas, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the 22nd through the 24th, and they carry uh, a very gracious anointing on the Father's heart. Uh, Chris ministers to uh, prisoners in Africa in some of the darkest prisons in the country uh, and in the continent of Africa and uh, brings the revelation of the Father's love and has seen a transformation in the lives of so many uh, that these eventually come to a place of moving out of the prison mentality into becoming entrepreneurs in business, and this is what Chris has been doing for many, many years, and it is, again, the revelation of the Father's heart, and he carries that anointing with him uh, for brokenheartedness and father wounds and relationship wounds, and we, we look at that sometimes and we say, well, is that even important today 
uh, in light of everything going on in the world? And the answer is absolutely yes. Um, it is still important to allow the gospel to address every area of our lives and particularly in our relationships and wherever there has been brokenness. And a lot of times that brokenness comes from either a father wound or some relational situation that has taken place. And so Father God is moving throughout the earth sovereignly through so many different vessels to bring healing and restoration. I believe that we're living in a season of the deliverance and the recovery of all things. I believe that. I believe that God who began a good work in you is going to complete it. I believe it's his desire, and this is the season for all of his kids who want to press into him that they will come into contact with that anointed vessel or those people that God is moving through throughout the earth and experience a deeper cleansing, a deeper healing. And what we're, not, what we're looking for isn't just something deeper. We're looking for something that is completing. And so we ministered last Sunday uh, at the Church at New Wine Ministries on the necessity of possessing the double portion of God's spirit for the days that we're living in because it's through the double portion of God's spirit that things will get done. So I wanted to remind you, Friday, I don't, if, if you lived in, you know, Michigan, if you live in California, if you know anybody that carries a, a father wound or is brokenhearted over anything, I sincerely want to encourage you not to just bring them to a place where they're going to be, you know, coddled and comforted for a moment, but what they need is to be healed, completely delivered from that wound. And what I'm saying is that Chris and Maxine carry an anointing for that very purpose. You know, how do you know you're wounded? How do you know that you've been broken? Well, it's in your own heart, okay? It's in your own life. You kind of know it's what you carry with you. It's a character issue. Um, Maybe there is a breach somewhere in the soul. Maybe there's a gap, Um, just some area that's afflicted, wounded. You stay away from that. You shut that door. You don't talk about that. You don't address it. That's the very area that needs to be healed. And I want to encourage you, no matter what, even though we live in this sin-sick world of mass confusion and madness, that there is still the kingdom of God in operation for your life. And I believe that the Lord is going to continue to draw those who have been on the backside of a desert, so to speak, and he's going to bring them up and bring them out and is going to allow through those vessels for many who have been stuck in some area of their life to come into the fullness of what God has for them. And right now we're dealing with the father's wound, uh, wounded, woundedness in, in many sons. Come on, let's be honest about it. We're a generation that, you know, we live in the classical, um, you know, hilarity of uh, dysfunctional families and uh, fathers that have abandoned their homes and left their sons to grow up under the instruction of a stepfather or some other thing, but what's never dealt with is the woundedness in the life of that believer. And people can carry this woundedness their entire life. They could be crippled with it their their entire life. And so uh, we believe that God has anointed ones in the earth that uh, have the salve, carry the oil and the wine uh, by the Holy Spirit to minister to these areas. Why is that important? Do you know how difficult it's going to be to face what is coming on this earth if we're carrying brokenness? How can brokenhearted vessels stand in the face of such opposition and adversity that is coming down the pike? And so I believe that there's a hedge around that individual 
that is looking for salvation, not just going to heaven, but the salvation from the brokenness that has transpired in their lives. I believe that. And I believe that God has an answer to all of that. I truly do. So having said that, this weekend, I want to invite you to come and see Chris and Maxine Brochu. And they will be ministering Friday night at 6.30, Saturday at 5.30, Sunday at 2 p.m. It's very simple. They are not dramatic. They don't carry smoke and mirrors. Uh, They're just very, very much, you know, organic and ministering to the body. And they're friends of ours. And we want you to experience uh, the blessing of what it's like to be ministered to in an area of your life where maybe few actually ever go. So whatever the case may be, if you're broken, if you know someone that's broken, make sure to invite them to this uh, weekend, and it's going to be an incredible weekend. On another note, I want to thank everybody for your precious love gifts and, and love notes to Patricia and I, who yesterday celebrated our 29th wedding anniversary, and we have had an amazing journey in the last week or so, and it started a week ago yesterday, I think, it's, that's how that's how fast this went. So a week ago yesterday, so two Mondays ago, uh, we were on an airplane and we were on assignment. And the idea was because of this conference coming up, we were going to leave and we were going to go do some work in Savannah, Georgia, which we're going to talk about in a moment. And then we were going to go to our friend's house, what we do every year in Sarasota. There are friends there and they pick us up. We found these incredible flights, by the way, $44 and $54 from Northwest Arkansas to Tampa, Florida on Breeze Airways. If you haven't discovered Breeze Airways yet, you need to. $54 flights and uh, $44 flights uh, one way, of course. And so for $118 with taxes and everything, I mean, it's unbelievable. So what we did two Mondays ago is we boarded a plane. We flew into Tampa. We spent the night at the airport. And we got up early Tuesday morning, and we rented a car, and we drove to Savannah, Georgia, where we met with Laquita, a dear sister of ours in the, in the Church of New Wine Ministry, and her brother, Paul. And Paul had fallen to a horrible situation where they found him in his home on the floor, unresponsive. He went into a diabetic comatosis of some sort. I don't know all the technical terms. All I know is that everything from heart attacks, fibrillations, Uh, passing out blood work. He got hit with seven or eight things. And if somebody in our, in our fellowship, one of our pastors, Denny, uh, he had the inkling to call because he hadn't heard from him. So he went and checked up. And of course, through that, uh, they had somebody go to the house and sure enough, they found him. And if they hadn't found him, he would have been dead. He would have died if nobody had showed up and get him to the hospital. So uh, by the time we showed up, Uh, we we had been hearing um, how bad off it was. He was in critical condition in the ICCU unit of some sort. Uh, But before we left on Sunday, we took a cloth and everybody at New Wine Ministries prayed. We anointed that cloth with oil and everybody put their hands on the cloth and blessed. They they brought a a, a word blessing. Uh, We knew that that's biblical. Paul, you know, sent handkerchiefs from his body. And so rather than from one individual, we employed the ecclesia, the one new man in the earth, the body of Christ. So we all prayed. So Patricia and I, Tuesday morning, rent a car from Tampa. We drive five and a half hours to Savannah. And we showed up. And 
We went to the hospital, saw Laquita. Nobody was supposed to go and visit him except family members, not even his pastor that was there in Savannah. But something happened where room was made for me personally to go in and take that handkerchief and spend some time. And so that door opened. Patricia stayed downstairs. And I remember opening the door, and there was Paul laying in bed. Um, and his sister, Laquita, said, look. And he looked over at me, and we got eye contact, and he started praying in tongues. <laughs> it was awesome. He started praying in the spirit. And I'm going, praise God, this is good. So I went in and spent, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes with Paul and Laquita, laid hands on him, put the napkin on him, the, the, the cloth that we had, rubbed it all over his chest. He started to prophesy. He started to declare and decree, I will be, I'm healed and all these things. And so it was a glorious moment. And the time came where I had to go because we needed to get a room. We were tired from the long drive and the flight the night before and all that stuff. And so uh, Patricia and I went and got our room. He began to get better. And through the passing hours, Paul was getting better. We were getting pictures. He's sitting up in bed. I had a vision of him before we ever got there where he was sitting up in bed. I saw the color of the room. He had a big smile on his face. Light was on. And uh, they actually sent me a picture, Laquita did, and it was almost verbatim to the vision I had seen in his healing. Now, Paul was taken. Now, let me tell you this. So the next day, which was Wednesday, uh, we were in, uh, this is all in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, we were getting ready to leave. We knew our work was done. And so I, Paul wanted to see Patricia. And so we went to the hospital. And of course, she's not supposed to go up to the room. But something happened where through some minor clerical error of some sort, they let Patricia go up into the room. We just said, okay. And I stayed downstairs. She went in. She spent a good 15 or so minutes with Paul praying and doing all these things. And then, you know, then someone came in and said, ma'am, you're not supposed to be here. It was a Christian woman. It broke her heart. She said, I'm so sorry, but you're not supposed to be in here, et cetera, et cetera. So Patricia, obviously, they, they left. They walked downstairs. But she had accomplished what she did. And so Patricia and I drove back to Tampa. And that was another five and a half hours. We stayed at another hotel. We woke up, and I got, I got under the weather, and I just wasn't feeling well at all. Uh, with all the activity that was going on. So we decided, because these flights were so inexpensive, let's see if we can get a flight home today. So on Thursday, we got out for $54. And so we got on the plane. We flew Thursday back into Northwest Arkansas. We came home. We laid in bed for three days and did nothing and began to recuperate. And then Sunday, we both felt better. I felt a little better. So we went to the church and we ministered the word of God, and we had a good time. And then yesterday, we were supposed to be back on the plane for 44 and go back to our friends who had prepared everything for us. And it was our anniversary yesterday. So we were supposed to get on the plane. Everything arrived, and our flight was delayed. And then it was delayed again. It was delayed a third time. It was delayed a fourth time. So we were supposed to be on the plane at 8 o'clock last night with the fourth delay. And we just got exhausted. And so we postponed it. We're, we're not going. And then I got a call or a text message from a very dear friend of mine, a brother, my brother. And he said, that's really strange. You got delayed because I was supposed to be out 
on the road doing some work and everything got postponed for me as well, which never happens. And so we both thought, could it possibly be that there's going to be something, maybe Holy Spirit is just harnessing us, you know, he's got the reins on our lives and maybe he's the one that's interfering with some of this movement at the moment. Is there something possibly, um, you know, in the works that we're not aware of? Um, because we're just not afraid to go about our father's business and we have prayed and it's very, very interesting. And we just became extremely flexible. So we're here today and uh, we'll see where things go throughout the rest of the day and tomorrow. And that's kind of our story of what we're doing and our 29th year anniversary in spite of everything was glorious. Patricia and I we laughed and we enjoyed each other's company very much. And we were with our friends yesterday. They were taking us to airports. Pastor Ken was jockeying us around. He kept going cha-ching because we, he had to go here and then here. And he wanted to charge us like a taxi, which he didn't do. <laughs> Thank God. And so, anyways, that's kind of our story. And now we're getting ready for this weekend with Chris and Maxine. So, but I, the thing that, I, and I and I really am cautious about this because, Uh, This isn't the reason why I came on the air today. What I'm about to say to you, it's not like, you know what, I'm going to go on the air and, you know, we're going to forget about backdrops and green screens and, you know, what we feel like and and all of that. And uh, this isn't what I'm about to share with you, the reason why I'm here, but it's a big part of it. And I'll be very honest with you. It's a really big part of it because uh, the scripture that I wanted to share and uh, that we could get into here in just a little bit. comes out of Jeremiah chapter 50. And for just a moment, I'd like to read that verse in Jeremiah 50. And I'm going to start in verse 33, where it simply says, Thus saith the Lord, this is Jeremiah 50, 33, The children of Israel and the children of Judah were oppressed together, and all that took them captives held them fast. They refused to let them go. That's kind of how the enemy is with a lot of God's kids today. He's got them bound and refuses to let them go. And unless you stand on your legal rights in the kingdom and employ the work of Christ on the cross, you'll never get the captive set free, right? So this is the way it was. But it says in verse 34, their redeemer is strong. And I want you to know today, your redeemer is strong, stronger than the captivity that you may be in. The Lord of hosts is his name. His name is Yeshua. His name is Jesus, is the reality. He shall thoroughly plead their cause that he may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. All right, so God wants his people to rest, and he wants to disquiet, unrest, the people of Babylon, those belonging to the Babylonian system. And then in verse 35, a sword is upon the Chaldeans, saith the Lord, and upon the inhabitants of Babylon, and upon her princes and upon her wise men. Oh, they're so wise, our leaders today, our princes today, right? And it says in 36, a sword is upon the liars, and they shall dote. A sword is upon her mighty men, and they shall be dismayed. A sword is upon their horses and upon their chariots and upon all the mingled people that are in the midst of her. And they shall become as women. A sword is upon her treasures, and they shall be robbed. Listen, Babylon, America, listen. Verse 38, 
A drought is upon her waters. Seeing that right now, 500,000 cargo containers out at, you know, just in California alone. The drought is upon her waters, and they shall be dried up, for it is the land of graven images, and they are mad upon their idols. Wow. You know, when I, when I saw that, and I remember a very dear friend of mine, we used to do a lot of radio together many years ago, that when he brought that first time I ever heard it was in Jeremiah when he said, and they are mad upon their idols. And I thought about it, how the people are mad upon their idols. And I want to show you just a little bit of what I'm talking about. And this is a, and there's a reason why I'm doing this. I'm not doing this just to be, you know, dramatic or anything like that. But this, if this doesn't disturb, if this doesn't shock, if this doesn't tell the story, then I don't know what will. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share this on the screen for those of you that are tuned in right now. I'm going to share the screen. I'm going to show you how this is. I'm going to go to uh, the Microsoft. I'm going to go here, and I'm going to share it. All right, so I'm going to put this on, and you tell me, and then I'll tell you my thoughts here in just a moment. So let me make sure that I have all my settings proper here. Hopefully I do, and uh, hopefully you'll be able to hear this, okay? So here it is. I'm going to just kind of bail out on this. Here is um, a, a, a screenshot. Let me open it up for you. This is the head of the Transportation Department in the United States of America. He ran for president. His name is Peter Buttigieg. Buttigieg. And Peter Buttigieg, in this article, as you can see, is boasting becoming a father to twins. The problem with this picture is that Peter Buttigieg spouse is a man, just like him. And what I find shocking about the image here, what I see in this, is that this is what we call normal today. That the head of the transportation department in the United States of America is a homosexual man who he and his married husband have adopted twins. Obviously, the man didn't do the rabbit test yet and give birth to these twins. They've adopted these twins and are holding them as their own children that they're going to raise up in their home. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of shocks me further than what I've been shocked over the years. And what is the shocking thing about this? Why is this shocking? A lot of people in our country hail this. They rejoice in this. They send gifts to this. They think it's the most lovely thing in all the world. <clears throat> Does it not rather disturb the conscience of a moral people? Isn't this one of the most disturbing things you've ever seen in your life? And yet, CNN, MSNBC, all the big news networks that have been so satanic and so demonic, they bring this before the eyes of the world for celebration. I can't see the celebration in that. I can't see, well, this is normal. And the shocking thing is that this is exactly what is happening. This is being normalized in our society. 
This is being normalized. This is supposed to be acceptable. And it terrifies, it does something way down here. Not because I'm a bigot, not because I don't care about human beings and that all sin could be forgiven. That's not it. See, but there was a time that people would practice this kind of sin and they would hide it. They were, they were ashamed to actually be it out in the open because society wasn't ready for this kind of psychological impairment, if you will. I mean, to, to do that would have been impossible a generation ago. You know that, and I know that. It was a shameful, evil thing that people were trapped in the addiction of their sexual perversion, et cetera, et cetera, but they would never have put it out into the moral consciousness of any society. But little by little, little by little, it's not that this sin can be forgivable, but what you're looking at is a sin that is unforgivable because it is acceptable and they have brought God into their desire and told God he has to be okay with that, which means they have no function of repentance for what they are doing. Their minds are so seared, their consciences are so dull that they are literally reprobate, meaning useful for nothing in the eternal purpose of God, and yet this is now normal in our society. This man ran for the presidency of the United States of America. He presented to the nation his husband while he was running. And now he's presenting to the world. He and his husband, they're two children. They're twins that they're going to be raising up. When I saw it, it crushed me in my spirit. I had a gasp in my soul. And I guess I thank God for that that I haven't become so numb that these things are just, well, that's the way it is. But I fear that so many people have. I can't believe there's not a moral outcry, a moral shock to this. I wonder and I ask myself as a, as a father and as a husband and as a pastor and as a male, Christian, white male with a hairy face uh, living in America today, where is the moral outcry? Where is the shock? I mean, I know that people are protesting right now in California about the forced vaccinations mandates, right? But I want to tell you something, that the reason why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah was not because they were forcing vaccinations on people or they were mandating vaccinations, okay? That's not why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sexual perversion that was so grotesque that when God saw it, I mean, he had that feeling inside of himself, okay? My question, we'll go to the streets, we'll protest against mandating vaccinations for our children. Okay, we're going to protect our children. Got it. That's a good cause. We'll go and we'll get upset about the release of illegal aliens into our nation, the thousands of Haitians that were under the bridge, and, and, uh, and I think it was El Rio, and that were released, and they came into the country, and nobody knows where they went. And then these new airplanes that are now flying around, dropping people off in different cities in the middle of the night. People get outraged. There's an outcry in some. But my question, from a biblical point of view, where is the moral outrage 
of what you're looking on the screen. And I'm going to just make it big for you one more time. Just you don't see it. There it is. That's Pete Buttigieg with his husband, each one holding a baby that they're going to raise up in their home, and it's going to be normal. Okay? What is that? Madness. What you're looking at is madness. Don't ever forget that not too long ago, don't ever forget that there was a man by the name of Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein was the guy to all the high-powered politicians around the world, not just in America, thousands in America. Jeffrey Epstein owned an island, and on that island he had a mansion. And within that mansion he had young girls, underaged young girls. High-powered politicians were flown to that island. We know that Bill Clinton was on Lolita Express 26 times. We know that Hillary Clinton was there. We know that the reason why Jeffrey Epstein was murdered in a maximum security prison is because the higher powers did not want the word to get out. You'll notice that the whole Jeffrey Epstein and his girlfriend have all disappeared. It's all gone. Why? Because not only were there underage young girls there, but there were little boys and little girls as young as seven and five. And then there were babies that were brought to the island. And we know that there were all kinds of sick, twisted, crazy things with many of the people that are in positions of power within our nation. Now, whether you want to get upset with that or not, I don't know. But the reality is, is that that is what they found. That's the truth. And it began to become the biggest story in the world that America and America's politicians and America's rich men and America's businessmen and America's, you know, uh, leaders are all going to this place and they're all being bribed. That's why you could tell them to politically do whatever you want them to do because you've got, their, you've got them. They're caught, right? And yet it's swept away. We have in our nation leadership that is so satanic. They have drunk the blood of innocent babies. They have eaten their flesh. They have partaken of their excrement. They have been seen as pedophiles, homosexuals, lesbians, transgender, transvestite. Now you have this normal Peter Buttigieg with his husband with two babies that they're going to grow up, and that's normal. And again, where is the moral outcry of our nation? Where is it? Where are the thousands of pastors that control hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of evangelical Christians in this country? Why aren't they protesting the obvious immorality within our nation? 
Where is the cry of the leaders in America? Where are they in this issue? Why is this issue the issue that brought destruction to Sodom and Gomorrah? Where's the outcry? Why the silence? Why is the church being told to hush on this issue of sexual immorality? A generation ago, I'm sorry if I'm going to repeat myself maybe to some of you, a generation ago it was illegal to commit a homosexual act in this country. You went to prison. And if you committed a homosexual act in prison, they added five years to your sentence. What happened? Get upset about a wall down on the border. Get upset about people coming to the country illegally, which is unfair. Get upset about vaccination mandates and all these things. Okay, I get that. But why the silence? Why the capitulation? Why the toleration of sexual perversion? And then the presentation of it into our society that this is normal. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Peter and his husband. I would love an explanation from someone. I was thinking maybe one of the mega church leaders like, uh, gosh, anybody on TBN would be great. You know, maybe somebody on one of those pastors that have the millions that are following them. Maybe they could tell us, you know, why they're not rallying their people to stand up and, you know, just lovingly say that this is an abomination to God, that what you're looking at on the screen right now, and and let me just, that right there, that picture right there is an abomination to God. It's, It's a stench in the nostrils of God. Why aren't the leaders talking about that? Why aren't they saying anything about that? What you're looking at, that picture is an abomination to God. Old Testament, New Testament, Three times in the New Testament, we're told that what God did to Sodom and Gomorrah, he's going to do to anybody that follows their course. We're doing it. Why, there's, why is the church silent on it? Well, is it because that they found in the Catholic Church in Pennsylvania, I'm not gossiping, it was all over the place, they had more violations of pedophilia from the priests with little boys. I mean, thousands of cases. The Southern Baptist Convention just what is right now going through all kinds of messy stuff because they don't, they're, 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 people are confused about the investigation because people in the Southern Baptist Convention are, are protecting the sexual uh, assault and abuse that's going on within that denomination, and they want to investigate, and so people are leaving, and what's that all about? You're telling me churches are protecting the sexual abuse that are inside of them? There's sexual abuse in church? You're telling me that pastors are having sex with their parishioners? Male pastors are having sex with male little boys and men? Homosexuals and lesbians? You're telling me that. Adultery, fornication, pornography. So you go and you're part of the Southern Baptist Convention, you get under their tent, and you may be sexually assaulted, but we've got ways to cover that up and we don't want investigation. I don't get that. How could that go on in the church? And you know, and I know, it's going on all over the world. 
everywhere, and there's no outcry. There's no moral, spiritual outcry. We live in it, and we ignore it. And I don't understand that. I don't understand that. And this is just a part of what I call Gotham City. I've never been a real Batman fan, and I think with my grandsons, maybe seven, eight years ago when Batman was out, they wanted me to see something. I thought, that's so stupid. But in my mind, this is like what we're looking at in the world we're living in is like Gotham City. Joe Biden, and forgive me, we're not to speak evil of any man, but we have to admit that Joe Biden is a very corrupt man that is unfit to hold a presidential office in any nation, let alone this nation. But I guess because of the silence and the lack of a moral outcry and the perversion and corruption and defilement and depravity that has been promoted within our nation, I guess he's the exact president that you should have in office in this society. I don't, I can't fathom, I can't wrap my mind around what we're living in. And, you know, there's a couple of ways to look at it. I could absolutely say, well, it's not touching my life. I'm not a part of that. I'm a pastor. My wife and I have been married 29 years. We haven't done that. We don't promote that. We deal with anything that goes on in our fellowship by the grace of God. So it's not touching us. And we are a kingdom people, and so our job is to minister to the people that are part of our fellowship that God sends our way, and we're to minister kingdom principles and life and deliverance and salvation and grow people up into the fullness of Christ. That's our job, and we're doing it in the midst of this insane, sick world. So that's why we don't have too much of a problem with what's going on out there. What about this scripture? Because I love scripture, and I love God's word to direct us, right? So what about this scripture in the book of Ephesians? And I'm just asking. I'm just asking. And I want to just flip it open maybe to Ephesians chapter 4. I think I've made my point about how insane things really are. Hopefully I've made that point. Um, Well, let's go to uh, Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is writing to the ecclesia, the church at Ephesus. People, we are the church. And in verse 8, he says these words. I'm going to start in verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words, empty words. For because of these things comes the wrath of God. Now, what was he talking about? Well, in verse 3, fornication, all uncleanness, covetousness. Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Filthiness, foolish talking, jesting, which are not convenient. And this, you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person sexually, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So he's telling us the biblical truth from the throne of heaven. So again, let no man deceive you with vain words, empty words, 
For because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. So the word for church is ecclesia, come out from among them. It's the called out ones. We're not to participate mentally, emotionally, spiritually in any way with what's going on in this world. Okay? We're being told to come out, not to be unclean in our spirit, soul, and body, right? That's the salvation. That's the working out of our salvation. Verse 9 or verse 8. For you were sometimes darkness, all right? We get that. So nobody's holier than thou. Nobody's pointing a rigid, critical, legalistic, pharisaical finger at anybody, okay? You were sometimes darkness, but now, okay, to the saints of God, are you light in the Lord? Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, that's what we do, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Don't fellowship, but reprove, expose. As a child of light, shine on the darkness. Let's go a little further. Verse 12, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. And it really is. It's hard talking about this stuff, isn't it? But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever does make manifest is light. So what Paul is saying is saints, as children of light, as children of God, we are to let our light shine to the exposure and the reproof of things that are done in darkness. So when there's no light shining, is it really light? Does, is what we call the church today, is it really light if it's not reproving the darkness? Wherefore, he says, awake thou, sleep, thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. I think it's time for the ecclesia, the people that say they believe in Jesus, to wake up from the death of their silence and their spiritual inactivity and their unwillingness to reprove what is dark and obviously evil, according to God's word, and receive some light and begin to let that light shine. And it's because of the absence of light that darkness is growing But don't you feel responsible for that if you've never reproved the darkness? Have you just allowed people, maybe your own children or grandchildren, to do evil things and you just didn't want to step on their toes? You wanted to remain their best friend. And so you never said, Johnny, that is stinking evil. And you're not going to do it under my roof. And and you say it in love like a grandma or grandpa, right? But you don't do that here. That's wicked. That's evil. Do you tell your sons and daughters? That's evil. We don't put that on in our home. That bedroom you're living in right now, that's my bedroom. You're leasing it out right now. I'm letting you stay in it. You're not bringing that trash into my bedroom. We don't talk to our kids that way anymore. Our children slam the door and say, get out of my room. What happened? What happened? What is there, was there such a legalism in the church? At some point, somebody said, oh, the church is becoming too legalistic. It's too uh, sterile. And 
we're not winning as many souls as we could. We need, to, we need to lighten things up and loosen up and not be so legalistic. We shouldn't be so, you know, controlling in our, the environment of our ecclesias. We should, we should lighten up and we should go out and invite the sinners to come in. And, and what we'll do is we'll lower our standards so they'll feel comfortable with us because, after all, we're really not as holy as we're projecting ourselves to be. So we kind of got this guilt thing going on inside of ourselves. So let's lower the standard, get the people in, get them saved, have them come to our churches, and not really shine the light on the darkness in their souls. So did we at that moment have the pendulum shift from hardcore legalistic Christian religion to the extremities of now, oh, isn't that cute what we see on the screen? It's okay. A nonviolent approach to Christianity, a, a non-threatening, uh, what we'll do is we'll just turn our lights way down so that we don't upset anybody by shining the light in their darkness. Because they're going to get angry if you do. You see, if if they're in bed and they're fornicating and you walk through the door and you see it, or you see your spouse committing adultery and, you know, someone's going to get angry. If your teenage daughter is in bed with some little boy and you open the door, they're going to get mad at you for coming in and invading their territory. But doesn't the Bible right here tell us that we're supposed to be exposing the darkness, reproving it, shining the light? What was the purpose of the light? Let your light so shine among men that they'll see your good works and glorify God in heaven. What did people interpret that to mean? I mean, well, I'm going to let my light shine. They're going to see my good works. What is that? Okay, I'm going to go feed the poor. Well, I thought you were supposed to not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so you better figure that one out too. So I'm going to let the, the, the dark world watch me go feed the poor so they're going to see my light and they're going to glorify God. Got news for you. They're not glorifying God by you feeding the poor. That's not what it means. They will give God the glory when the light in you shines on their darkness and exposes them for where they really are, headed, which is into eternal separation from God. Would you agree with that? At least a little bit? Oh, I'm going to let my light shine so that everybody's going to see my good works and they're going to give God the glory. So I'm going to, I'm going to coddle their sin. I'm going to love them in their sin. I'm going to embrace them and, 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 and just say, it's okay. God loves you. God loves you. You can stay that way. Is that what we do? Seriously? Is that letting our light shine? Are they giving God the glory? Well, Pete's not. Pete Bidigue is not. He and his husband that have the twin babies, they're not giving God the glory. Or they're saying, God must be so good because these Christians are tolerating and accepting because we forced it upon them. You know what it is? It's a big spiritual war. The church forced God's righteousness, right? Because there was a militant, triumphant army of God that once walked on the earth, bringing the light and the glory of Jesus Christ to expose the darkness. Laws were promoted to protect what is righteous. And the darkness didn't like it, and so it started to fight back. And then they paid men off. Hey, stop all this hardcore stuff. We'll give you big stages. We'll give you mega churches, limelight, television. Say things that we want you to hear. And so they fought back. And so now the evil is 
forcing down the throat of churches, and you haven't even begun to see where it's going, everywhere, they're silenced, you're going to capitulate, you're going to like it, you're going to go along with it, and that's where we are. And does anybody bear witness to that? Where's the moral outcry? Where's the shame? Where's the blush that should be upon every face and living in America? Land of the free and home of the brave. The place where people come to build a dream and a life. America, the Judeo-Christian nation that welcomes all people to come out of their God-forsaken societies and their blasphemous nations of Buddhism and Confucianism and Islamism and all of that nasty stuff going on there. Come to America. We will show you the kingdom of God, the lordship of Jesus Christ, the salvation of the Lord that is eternal. And while you're here, build a dream, build a family, build a life, work hard, do what you want. We're going to protect that. Where is that? So Gotham City, the Joker is ruling. The city is dark. Crime rises. 4,500 police officers are ready to abandon their posts or get fired for not capitulating in the back stains. The death toll rises in Chirac, Chicago. There's still a fight, but for what? Don't vaccinate my kids. I wouldn't be so worried about that. I mean, go ahead and fight it. But if you remember the San Francisco gay choir saying, we're coming for your kids, not just for vaccination. You put your kids in that school, we're going to take their psychology and shift it into making what you're seeing on the screen right now normal to them and acceptable to them. And we're going to train them. Don't you ever say anything against this because this is normal. I don't know if the fight for not allowing vaccinations is the primary battle. You send your kids to university today, they're gone. You send them to high school, they're gone. You send them to elementary school, they're gone. They're gone. Six months maybe even shorter than that. The moment they leave you and go into those environments, they're gone. You'll never see them again until many years later, maybe by the grace of God, because you train them with some form of moral Christian virtue, they may return. I heard that in evangelical Christianity, there's like 35 million evangelical Christians in our country. They used to stand up at gay pride rallies and a couple of guys hanging up a sign. Where's the moral outcry against the laws that have been promoted? Not until June of 2015, six years ago and a half, it was illegal for men to marry men and women to marry women. It was against the law until the Supreme Court of the United States of America 
decided we're going to make this legal. I remember Pastor Ken, Pastor Michael, and I were there in Washington, D.C., filming the whole thing while that decision was made that day, the Oberfeld decision that opened the door and paved the way for men to marry men and women to marry women. It was a very sad day, but the world rejoiced. The people shouted. The heart of God was broken because those people are on the pathway of damning themselves into eternal separation from the God of their creation. And they have shaped a God in their own image and likeness, and the Father's heart was broken. His wrath upon these things is real, but I want you to know the felt, felt, if you could felt God, he just understood they're going to be swept away by their own choices from him, his own creation, God's own creation rejoiced against his moral standards of righteousness, marriage, and pure sexual encounters between husbands and wives. And they rejoiced in the blasphemy, and they rejoiced in the sodomy, and they rejoiced in the ugliness. And the highest court in the land authored it and authorized it to the banishment of who knows how many hundreds of thousands into the eternal doom of destruction in their souls. And the church was silent. And they claimed to love people. So what will become of the highest court in the land? I'll tell you what the Bible says. You could do with this information whatever you want. The curse that is on the United States of America right now, the judgment that's on our nation right now, if you haven't woken up to that. So the curse, the judgment on our nation right now is likened unto, I want to share the story with you. It's likened unto a time in the history of Israel. We learned from what happened back then, right? We're supposed to. And you'll remember the story, I hope, of a time when Israel was languishing. They were languishing in their sin, right? And... I've got to find it, but I'll tell you the story. You can, you can help me look for it. And the sin that they were languishing in was sexual immorality. The Israeli men began to fornicate with the Midianite women. It was a strategy. It was, a, it was, it was an actual strategy, a strategic plan that if you want to beat Israel, just get their men to fornicate with these heathen women, these Midianites. So they did, and the Israeli men went after those Midianite women, and they began to intermingle, and they went on and on. And so the plague hit. Somebody could tell me in Scripture where that 
scripture is. I'll just tell you the story. So the plague hit, and the Bible says 23,000 people died in one day. 23,000 in the camp of Israel. Because now that the sin, the pleasure of sin, was waning, now the judgment was coming, right? That's how it always works. It always starts well, feels good, pleasurable, but then comes the reality of the consequence of such sin. So Moses is in the camp with all the people, and while he's in the camp, he's weeping with the elders. The the people are being wiped out. The plague has hit the camp. People are dying everywhere. And the Bible says that there was an Israeli man that had a Midianite woman in his hand, and he walked her right in the middle of the camp. Here is the sin of Israel. The sin of Israel. I got some good friends out there. I'm hoping that somebody's going to give me that scripture. Okay. So here, I'll just put it up this way. You'll be patient with me. I'm in no rush today. Uh, Let's go here. I'll put it up this way. We'll go over here, and I'll give you the whole story. The very sin of Israel. So we're going to go to, uh, let's go to this guy. All right. So, oh, bummer. I can't remember how to spell his name. I don't know how to spell his name. So, anyways. Maybe this will help me. Let me see. I'm in the right place here. Wow. A lot of that stuff is going on. All right. So, uh, I don't know where it is. So, anyways. Uh, the sin of Israel was this Israeli man with the Midianite woman. So he goes through the camp, he has her in his arm, walks into his tent with her. And so here you have the setting, people dying everywhere, wrath is upon the congregation of Israel, the sin was their sexual immorality, the man comes right in the middle of the camp, the elders, Moses, Aaron, they're all there, right into the tent. But there's a guy sitting down, and his name is Phineas. His name is Phineas. And um, Phineas, um, wait, I'm looking for that one scripture here. I'm not sure if anybody was going to send it to me. I kind of, you know, oh, there it is. Let's go to Numbers 25. All right, let's get to Numbers 25. That would be awesome. So here we go. Here's the story. Thank you, Miriam. God bless you. So let's get into this then. Numbers 25. Here, let's go to verse 1. This is a great story. You'll get it. Numbers 25, Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. Good. I'm glad I did this, but there's a Midianite in here, believe me, I think. So uh, verse 2, and they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. So the people began to intermingle with the gods of the Moabites, right? So Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Israel did what? Joined itself. What does the church do through silence? Joins itself. And the Lord said unto Moses in verse 4, take all the heads. Watch. Take all the heads of the people 
That's all the judges, senators, congressmen, judiciary, Supreme Court, presidents, whoever. He said, take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. Moses said unto the judges of Israel, slay ye every one of these men, uh, of his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. So God tells Moses, here's what you're going to do to stop this plague, right? You're going to take all the leaders of your nation and you're going to hang them. You're going, to, you're going to literally hang them. And then in verse 25, or, or, or Numbers 25, verse 6, it says, And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So here is this Israelite man, a Midianite woman, in the sight of Moses, all the elders, everybody's there, the whole congregation. And he takes her, what? Who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And when Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. Okay? He went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly, so the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. And those that died in the plague were 24,000. Good, so I'm getting straightened out in part of the story. I said 23. 24,000. What's happening here? God's about to do something. You see, God is going to stir in Phineas. God's foretelling Moses, this is what you're going to do. You're going to get all the leadership of your nation that joined to Baal Peor, all the leaders in your nation that have sinned against God by promoting what is evil and blasphemous. You're going to take every one of them and you're going to hang them before all the people. And I'm going to stir in the heart of Phineas. Now watch what happens here with Phineas in verse 10. It says, and the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Numbers 25, 11, now, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned away my wrath from the children of Israel, while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore say, behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace. I'm going to give to Phineas, the guy that just took a spear and shoved it through the belly of an Israeli man and a Midianite woman. I'm going to give him my covenant of peace. And not only that, and he shall have it and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood. Because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. Wow. What is that? He is going to have the, 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 the lineage of Phineas is going to have an everlasting priesthood. Do you know that there throughout Scripture are many men that have the zeal of the Lord? 
and the, the Maccabees had the zeal of the Lord. We're going to talk about another man by the name of Josiah. We'll talk about Elijah, Elisha. We'll talk about many men. And even Jesus Christ himself, when he walked into the temple with a whip, and they said, the zeal of the Lord has eaten him up. Where did that zeal come? That was, he was the originator of the zeal of Phineas. And when Yeshua went into the temple with a whip and overturned the money changers, a violent act, by the way, it was the zeal of the Lord. It's, there's something there. And God said of Phineas, I'm going to bless him forever. But what did he do? He took a spear and he went into the sin of his nation, the very thing that was causing the nation to be destroyed. And you have to ask yourself today, where is the zeal of the Lord in the body of Christ? It looks like the church is looking around going, where are the patriots? Where are the patriots? You know, somebody do something. Maybe a patriot. Maybe we'll even ask the Muslims to do something. Muslims, where are you? Can you go do something, Muslims? You see, in the house of God, Phineas, the zeal, to directly deal with the sin of the nation, that was blessed by God. Where is it today? Oh, I know this is uncomfortable for a lot of people. The mind begins to race. What are you saying? I'm just reading to you scripture because the Bible says in the New Testament, go back, learn how God deals with things. And God told Moses, go to the leadership of your nation and every one of them that passed these laws, like men marrying men and slaughtering innocent babies, shedding innocent blood, everybody that sided with the perversion that's going on in your society today, everybody that turned away from the Lord, basically take them out, hang them. Biblical instruction, hang them. Then Phineas spears the sin, and God blesses him forever in a covenant of peace. The Maccabees, they were definitely a priesthood out of the loins of Phineas, no doubt about the Maccabees, who fought against the corruption that was going on against their nation. So where? And Jesus, by the way, went to the Feast of Dedication. He actually honored the Maccabean revolt. He honored the Maccabean revolt. Jesus did. In the Bible, when he went up to the Feast of Dedication, it was the memory of the zeal of people that loved their country and loved their God and did something about it. Another man, I don't have time to go into his whole story, is a man, a young man by the name of Josiah. At eight years old, he was the king of Israel. By the time he was 26 years old, his nation was a wreck. Israel was a wreck. You can find the story in the book of Kings, chapter 21, I believe it is. And I would spend the whole time, but it's a lot of reading. The, the thing is with Josiah, somebody, as they were doing repairs on the temple, they found the law of the Lord. They found the Torah. And they brought the Torah to Josiah. And when he read Torah, he ripped his clothes. And I paraphrase, and he basically says, 
No wonder why our nation is in such a condition. We have sinned against God. And he rips his clothes. And he calls for all the people. He's the king now, 26. And he calls for all the people to join him. And he brings the nation to a new, a, re, a renewing of the covenant. It would be like bringing Americans back to the reality of the Constitution or the covenants of the founding fathers, the true ones in the 1600s, right? So Josiah rallies the people, brings them together. They renew the covenant. He, his land is filled with idolatry, homosexuals, sodomites. I mean, it's throughout that passage, you read all about it. Uh, wicked priests, ugly, perverse. I mean, it's just a wretched society. And he leads a reformation. He takes all the power and he moves throughout the nation of Israel and goes to the high places of Bethel and he tears down the altars of idolatry. He goes to the Sodomite houses, tears them apart. He starts dealing with the issues and he doesn't stop. He's like a revolutionary moving through the land, moving people out. I mean, it's an incredible story. A reformer, Josiah. A priest named Phineas with his spear, putting an end to the sin, the zeal of the Lord. Josiah, a king. I had prayed for years that God would bring a Josiah ministry into this nation. And I thought Donald Trump may have been it, but he was soft. He did a lot, and maybe only God knows if there's another moment, but he didn't really get to what was the problem, the abortion, the shedding of innocent blood, the homosexual agenda, kind of coddled that too. He didn't possess the mind of God and the heart of God the way that it needs to be done like Josiah. Josiah went after all of it. He had four years, Mr. Trump to rally the people around him and deal with these issues. Oh, but we have to appease the homosexual community. No, you don't. They're not healthy for our children, Mr. President. They're not healthy for our grandchildren, Mr. President. Their doctrine ruins minds, Mr. President. And it's blasphemy and abomination against God, Mr. President. Are you going to serve just patriotism or are you going to serve God? I prayed for a Josiah. I prayed for a leader that had a zeal for God, that wasn't ashamed of CNN saying, oh, they're being religious. Who cares what CNN says? From within the ranks, where is Josiah? Where is Phineas? And there's other men that carried the same zeal. Elijah was able to turn the hearts and minds of God's people back to the Lord by the anointing that worked him. You see, I believe that Phineas was anointed. I believe Josiah was anointed. I believe Elijah was anointed. Elisha was anointed. King David to slay giants was anointed. And I know that the source of their anointing is Yeshua, Jesus. He's the anointed one, and out of him, the eternal flow of anointing goes. But it's not always to have cheer bumples and feel good and have a nice church service. It's about how to affect a nation. And you're living in a nation that is sin sick. It is so sick. And the church swaddles around in it. 
swooshing in the muck and mire. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I want you to look at your screen one more time, please. That picture, that man, he ran for president of the United States, Pete Buttigieg. He ran for president, introduced his husband at that time. Now he's the leader of the transportation department in our country, and that's why we're seeing ships at sea not bringing the goods in. He's part of that, but he needed to be with his husband to coddle their new two twins that they're going to raise up in their home. And we live in this. This is people leading our nation. They're leaders. Oh, Jesus is going to return any minute now. No. No. Church, where's the moral outcry? Oh, I don't want to say anything because they're going to arrest me. They're going to take me off of YouTube. They're going to take me off of Facebook as my friend, Pastor Kevin Honeycutt, would say. I can't say anything. I can't expose their darkness. I can't speak to the abomination. I can't speak to their evil because that's really not acceptable in the new society. Then stop calling yourself a believer in Jesus Christ. Shut your mouth, close the book, get out of church, and go and disappear in the world. Stop pretending. Oh, but I go to church to get music to make me feel good. To do what? You go to get feel good to do what? Well, I go to church, I hear a word, and it makes me feel good about myself, and I get the music, and I'm, oh, it's so beautiful. And then what do you do with it outside of church? You're supposed to get fueled up. You're supposed to get anointed. You're supposed to get powerful. You're supposed to take that out. Do something with the oil and the light you have, with the time you've got. Why isn't it happening? 35 million evangelical Christians, you're telling me that there are people that are Christians that have been taught not to shine their light, that that actually means go feed the hungry so that the world's going to give them glory? The world's not giving God glory because you're feeding hungry people. That's not what it means. They'll give God glory when their sins are exposed. And conviction hits their hearts, and they cry out to God for mercy. Where is that? Are we that late? And are people that are supposedly getting baptized and saved everywhere, are they really? Are they being baptized, saved, and sent to go shine the light on the darkness? How dark is this freak show that we're living in? You know what terrifies me? The prophet Jeremiah said that the best of them are as a briar. In our fellowship, in our ecclesia, God told me, I believe, I kind of whispered in my heart somehow that I want you to focus, because I was asking, Lord, look at the insanity going on everywhere, the insanity, the insanity, the insanity, the madness that's going on in this world. What do I do? What do you want me to do? And I believe I heard him say, I want you to focus on building up my house. I want you to focus on building the church. So when we go to our Bible studies, we focus 
and our concentration is going to get even more intense on building the people to become those fit stones into the house because God's glory is going to fill the house. We're building the house. But along the way, as we go, all those spiritual stones that are being fit into that house, we all have a responsibility to speak the truth in love. But I'm speaking the truth in love right now, but people in the world are thinking, oh, he's so evil against well, No, this is a love message for my father's heart. I don't know how you view it, but I know this is coming out of not something of I feel so strongly about. This is coming out of what I believe my father in heaven is wondering too, where is everybody? He actually wrote it in the book of Isaiah. There was no man. There was no intercession. Where is everybody? He was asking. You know what I think would be wonderful as, as, as a man? a Christian father, husband, pastor, friend. You know what would be wonderful? And I think a lot of people wanted it. I think it would be wonderful for the moral people of this nation to go to Washington, D.C. and arrest every single person that is sided with Baal or Satan, remove the satanic priesthood, and you'll know them by their fruits and by the laws that they pass, and remove them from halls of power, and install righteous men and women of God in these positions of power. Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, everybody thought that's what Donald Trump was going to do. Here's what I know, scripturally. If the church does nothing like it's done, nothing, except play games with spiritual ideas, and make it look like it was really, oh, mystical, wow. The church does nothing, because it's got to be built on the backside of this whole thing, which is, you know, this is God's work, and I praise God for that. He's building his house, period. God will have his house. Scripture says God will have his house. It's going to happen. But if the church does nothing in this country to cry out against the immoral wickedness you're seeing part of it on the screen right now. Then he will raise up an adversary. Unfortunately, the church is going to go into captivity. They're going into the Great Tribulation. And the reasons why? Predominantly are silence. Because we chose to do nothing about the immorality in our nation to shine light on it and reprove it. I believe Washington, D.C. will be decapitated, literally, a decapitation of Washington, D.C., severed. What happens beyond that, I don't know. I think the 80 million patriots and the 35 million evangelical Christians, however many millions of people are moral and conservative and are Christians, If they don't seize the moment and recognize this moment right now, and I've said it before, and it's going to sound crazy to people, but what should happen is what happened on January 6th, for example, everybody went to Washington, D.C. It should happen again, not with a million, with tens of millions, and never leave until change comes. 
there were a million people on January 6th that were peaceful, the 99.99% peaceful, and just hanging out. They need to do it multiplied by millions, and people need to go and not leave until Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, all the judges that supported the blasphemy and abomination, they need to go to universities, they need to go to colleges, they need to go to Capitol buildings throughout this nation after D.C., and they need to do what Josiah did. And they need to pull these people out of positions of power because they are to serve us, we the people. They're our servants. You know that 80 million people did not vote for Joe Biden. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You know that corruption is flowing everywhere. The distraction, COVID-19. They're willing to kill as many people as they need to to keep their lie. If God's people don't shine the light on this lie, who else will? 30, 40 million people say, you know what? You're taking our jobs away from us anyways. You're making life difficult in all these ways. Well, we're going to go to Washington, D.C., 30 to 40 million of us, and we're going to stay there, and we're going to occupy every part in massive groups. So you want to send your little Antifas, you want to send your little Black Lives Matter groups out, you want to try to send military out, well, they'll be counterforce if that's the way you want to go. But we're going to go and occupy until change comes. 30, 40 million, we're coming. And we'll bring all the food and the water from without, and they'll keep, we'll have tents set up everywhere. And we will occupy Washington, D.C. For a year, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Sometimes being with the right people at the right time, doing the right thing in the right place, can be one of the most joyful experiences you'll ever know in your life. I wonder if there are 40 million, 35 million Americans who love God, love Jesus Christ, love this country, that would allow some zeal to carry them into action. What kind of action? Go and stand in the capital city and don't leave until change comes. If every mega church pastor would encourage his congregation and say it's time to break the silence, let's abandon this whole idea of mega church thing, and let's all go. Let's all go to D.C. Let's give up. Give up all the prestige and the platforms and names and reputations, and let's just go stand in our capital city. Bring blankets, bring tents, go there and occupy it until the people that have sided with Satan are gone. Every congressman, every congresswoman, 
every senator, every judge, and those in the White House. I wonder. Or we just keep doing what we're doing, which is basically nothing, and keep living in the swamp of Sodom and Gomorrah, technology, doctrine, conduct, who would lead such a venture? The last time I checked, we had a king who's also the commander-in-chief of the armies of God and the armies of heaven. Men on earth that have done things in the zeal of the Lord have been applauded by the God of heaven. Do you think God is going to condemn you for actually doing something against the insanity that is destroying souls of people? You think God's going to be angry? He wasn't angry at Phineas. wasn't angry at Moses when he said, go hang them all. He wasn't angry at Elijah, Elisha, David, or Jesus when he went into the temple. Well, you know, that sign, we do not fight against flesh and blood. Standing in Washington, D.C. is not an insistence of fighting flesh and blood. It's standing there and praying in the spirit against those principalities and powers and binding them up and not leaving until they're gone. And until those prayers release the imprisonment of those people. When someone says, well, the kingdom of God is not of this world. No, it's not. We're to bring the kingdom of God into this world, and it's supposed to dominate over all the other kingdoms. Don't let anybody talk you out of doing something that needs to be done at a time like this. Now, I could bring on a guest speaker right now. I could let somebody come on in and tell you another whole view of things and tell you why you should stay home and do nothing. Just stay home. Don't do anything. Just leave Joe over in, in Washington and, um, you know, just don't do anything. I don't know. Maybe that's the right answer. Maybe you have a question or a comment you'd like to say. Uh, you know, Pastor Jeff, I've been looking for you. I've been looking for you. I was going to call you up when we were out and about, want to know how you were doing. Uh, it's time for me to remove this picture from the frame and get to our telephone lines here. Uh, looks like we got a call coming in from area code 605. We could do that for a little bit, and then we'll go to our chat room and do that. So, all right. Good morning. God bless you. Welcome to the broadcast. You are on the air, area code 605. How are you today? Good morning. Yes, Good morning. Brother Vince. Well, we've known you for years, and we have considered you a watchman to the people. And this morning, when you started to speak, I went to, because the Lord gave me this last night, and it's in Ezekiel 33, and it says, if the watchman see the sword come and blow out the trumpet and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take away any person from among them, he has taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. Then when you drop down there, 
after the people, the man or woman of God has warned that wicked one, then here's what the Lord says. The blood will no longer be on your hands. And then it says that exactly in 9. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, and if he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. So, God is, is definitely, according to Ezekiel here, we are to warn the people of their sin, whether it be homosexuality, immoral sin, whatever the Holy Ghost reveals when you're talking with people or ministering. Now, the other thing, my question is this. So we sat last night with politicians at a dinner, and uh, it is a group of people of 400, and we happen to be at the table of two. Uh, one was an attorney general, and the other one was a legislator in our state. And you know, as we begin to talk before the whole meal started and stuff, they realize that our we're losing our country. And then we got opportunity to speak, and I expressed to the one man especially, I said, prayer is so important. I felt no rejection at all from them. So there are a few people out there that really are concerned, but... My God, like you said, you need, it needs to be a total sweeping of the evil. And only through the spirit of the living God will that happen. My question is this. Why aren't the watchmen in these churches speaking this truth to the people? What is their real motive to even open their doors I would imagine that it's for prestige, it's for safety, it's for money, it's for power, it's for whatever. They don't want to lose, um, you know, the big tithers or whatever. I don't understand why they don't understand that they will be held accountable, um, as we all will be held accountable for what we say and do. Um, but it just is a sign of the times. It is a sign of the time. False prophets, false apostles, false teachers, false Christs. It is the time of everything false that is in power and is running things, and it's being told it's the truth, and yet the truth is suffering terribly as far as biblical truth is concerned. That's my take on it. <clears throat> Thank you. I believe that, uh, I believe that God has set well, you there in this area as a true watchman, so just just keep warning, but also like the Lord has showed you, build the house, build up the people that are going yeah. to remain and, be, and the glory of the Lord will come through the sons of God. Thank you. Amen. God bless you. You're such a special people. I know you know Chris and Maxine are coming Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. sure would be great to see you guys come. But um, we know you're, you're a long way away. But it's just a day. Come on. Anyways, thanks for the call, Kathy. God bless you. All right, so let's get on to our next phone call coming in from area code 916. Good morning. God bless you. Welcome to the broadcast. You're on the air. Uh, good morning, Pastor Vincent. Hey, good morning, Brother Mark. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you, brother? Great, great. Trying not to get in too much trouble. Well, yes, yes. <laughs> Praise God. 
a couple comments that I had. You know, this this business of this cabinet secretary uh, being involved in a, a homosexual marriage and adopting children, I'd like to speak to that just for a moment, if I may. The Bible does tell us uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, for myself, Pastor, when I see these news articles about nonsense like what we've been talking about this morning, the way that I... I guess you could say the way that I look for peace simply is to look to the Bible for an explanation. You know, if you don't have, if you're not willing to look at Scripture and understand Scripture, you can really, really be confused and upset about what's going on in the world these days. And this particular verse really, really helps me out a lot to understand and to not get so upset, regardless, what does upset me is that there's a level of deception involved in this homosexual, these homosexual marriages where children are involved, where children are adopted, basically to be legalized child abuse. These homosexual parents, quote-unquote parents, are layering on such confusion, horrible demonic confusion, layer after layer after layer upon these children that they adopt. <clears throat> and, and my prayers for the children, you know, God help them. Um, we can only hope and we can pray that in life, some point in the lives of these children who have been raised by homosexual parents, that the Lord will reach down and untangle the layers of confusion that are upon these children and that these children will come to the Lord and come to understand who really is the boss in the universe and that boss is the Lord God. But until such a time, they've had so many layers, thick layers of confusion put upon them by society as a whole and their so-called parents in general. It's just it's a crying shame, and I really grieve for these kids. You know, the Bible, we, we are called not to hate the individuals, but to hate the evil behavior. And I get that. But it's really tough sometimes not to hate the individuals who are behaving this way and inflicting Satan's work upon the children. So that being said, the tolerance that is preached by our government is just nothing short of criminal. You know, the, apparently the government doesn't see homosexual marriage and adoption of children into this homosexual family. Apparently the government doesn't see that as child abuse. But I think as believers, we can certainly see it as child abuse. That's my story, sir, and I'm sticking to it. Well, I think it's an excellent um, admonition, and I think it's very true what you're saying. The only thing that I think in, inside of me was you were talking, when you were talking about not getting upset with things, um, you know, I like that. I like not being upset with things. 
And yet I look at my example, Jesus Christ. Um, he was obviously upset when he went into the temple because he walked into an environment that was supposed to represent a house of prayer. And he walked into that environment and he saw it other than what it was intended to be. And so he took that whip and he went in with zeal. The zeal of the Lord has eaten me up. We weren't there to That's see right. how he did what he did. But he was very upset by the condition. And I would think that the moral community in the United States of America, who are conservative and Christian and patriotic to their nation and love God, that there would be a – it's okay to be upset about things that are it, – it, it should be outrageous to allow the things that are going on in this country. Um, and I'm just concerned that that outrage has been lost, that there is no upsetness. And, you know, I, I hope that I can get some people upset. And yet I know there that I live go. in a climate where people, they don't want to be upset. Mm-hmm. They want to just live peaceful <clears throat> lives. Your thoughts? Well, sir, so many of the churches that we have now, because they are beholden to their insurance companies, because they are beholden to paying the bills, that makes them beholden to the tithe and the offering. And if they are saying things, if pastors and preachers in these big churches are saying things that make people uncomfortable, and if they're not serving up pizza on Saturday night for their congregation, if they're not preaching peace and safety, and once saved, always saved, then their congregation is going to go elsewhere to look for those elements of comfort. And they're not going to be tithing, and they're not going to be offering, and the churches will suffer. Unfortunately, a lot of the big churches are all about money, sir, and it's just a crying shame because the truth is not being told and people, congregations are not being held accountable. And, and that's, that is something to cry about for sure. And I hearken back to that scripture in that it, it's, it just, reading scripture just helps me to understand and not be mystified and not be completely discouraged by what's going on in the world today. Because we know that the Lord foretold these events and the Lord has warned us all along of these events. I mean, ever since, ever since the time of Moses, we have been warned. So true. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I just think that um, we need to know that we did something that connected us to Christ and his zeal and that his heartbeat was somehow our heartbeat. And we did what was pleasing to him. And to live in a world where you're afraid of what men could do to you is called bondage. It's called captivity. And if you cannot serve your God the way that, that you believe God wants to be served in a biblical manner, uh, and you're afraid of what men do, you're not going to serve. It's not going to be healthy. I mean, at the, at the great white throne judgment, uh, you know, it's just not going to be, you know, what are people going to do? What did you do with what I gave you? Well, I was kind of afraid to do anything. I took my talent. I yeah. buried it in a napkin because uh, I knew you were an austere man. Well, Lord, I fear you so much that I'm going to say, I'm going to be outspoken. I'm going to the rooftops. I'm going to shout out into eternity until you tell me to get down. But I'm not going to let anybody else tell me to stop. Um, and, and again, you're, you're not trying to do anything but honor and serve the Lord. I can't imagine people are not heartbroken all over this nation for the condition of this country right now. It is absolutely yes, amazing sir. to me. All right. Yes, sir. Well, thank you, Pastor. I appreciate what you're yeah. doing for sure. 
Well, thank you. I love you very much. God bless your heart, and thanks for calling into the program. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. All right. So that's uh, a number, 818-369-0326. I've got a little bit more time. If you all are there, you want to hang out a little bit, 818. Did I just say y'all? 818-369-0326. Imagine my friends in Jersey City where I grew up, they would think it was, what do they call that, sacrilegious or something? Y'all. <laughs> 818-369-0326. I want to say good morning on our chat room. I see that Charlotte Gotch was with us number one in the morning again. Good morning, Charlotte. Pastor Jeff Bass, good to see you, my friend. Uh, well, he has a few comments we're going to get into in just a moment. Uh, Cindy Messman, good morning. Jody Keen says, went to Perry Stone's week-long Megafest conference last week. He is rapture coming very soon, but talk to people who prepare for what is coming. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> All right, Kevin Hauger, good to see you this morning, Kevin. God bless you. Uh, see, Terry Shannon called in. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Brenda Wynn is with us this morning. Hello, Brenda. God bless you. Uh, Diana Langford is with us. She's saying evil, very evil. Boy, is it more than we know, Diana. That's the truth. Uh, Terry Shannon, amen about the preachers not crying out regarding homosexuality, child abuse, etc. cetera. Uh, a homosexual act, even in the evil religion of Islam's, punishable by death, either by beheading or thrown off a high-rise building. So you commit that act, they whack you. They take your head off. Mm. Greg Johnson, and our government has no interest in justice. And after four years of Trump, that point should be patently obvious. I think you're right, Greg. Terry Shannon, thank God for people like you, Pastor Vincent Xavier, for speaking out against Leviticus 22.18 and Romans 1. Thank you, Vincent. And, and, uh, our, and blessings to you in your house and congregation. Thank you for your blessings. Uh, I see our sister Laquita is with us. Good morning. Good morning, Pastor Vince from Brenda Torville. Laquita, we want to know how Paul is doing, no doubt. Uh, good mornings everywhere here with Brenda Torville again. And Laquita, Sam Grimes, thank you, Pastor, for preaching the full truth of the Word of God. You are so welcome. It is our responsibility before the Lord. Amen. Uh, Brother Denny Sossaman giving us numbers 25. Thank you, Denny, for that. Uh, Terry, Pastor Vincent is indeed preaching it like it is, biblical truth. Brenda Torfield says, yes. Uh, Terry says, Obama was the instigator in same-sex marriage in 2016. Ha, I wonder why. Read Daniel 11:37. No pastor, present world leader fits that description as well as Obama. Hmm, very possible. Uh, Brenda Torville went on, truth about Obama, true Obama did that. Brenda Torville, so much evil in this world, and you haven't even seen the avalanche that's coming. Get ready. Um, and then Pastor Jeff Bass. Pastor Vince, great message. I feel your heart. He said, 1 Samuel 4, 19 to 22, I believe per the scripture, the glory of the Lord has departed from the church. The church has exchanged the glory of God in favor of the glory of man. What an outrage that should be. Uh, Pastor Jeff went on to say, God's glory is equated with his character. However, the church is chasing after the character of the world because the people and the church want worldly acceptance. Also, the church has no discernment. Man, is that true? If the church was discerning, Pastor Jeff went on to say, then pastors would know that the new world order is quickly setting up their one world government, one world economy, and one world religion. Ah, but we're going to leave that for those that are left behind, right, Pastor Jeff? Wow. However, most of the pastors I know, talk to, and read about are telling their members to take the jab and have no clue about the master plan of the globalists. Rather, they're saying, go back to normal. So sad. 
It is a total wipeout. Brenda Torville, yes, we have to pray, pray, pray. Melissa, Pastor Melissa Fletcher, praying for all of you and the church. Thank you so much. We need that, and so does all the church. Uh, Brenda Torville, absolutely, God help the children. So sad. Cindy Messman, need to love brother like Jesus. Note, hate the behavior. Brenda Torville, truth. Dennis Sossaman, Melissa Fletcher, praise for you. Thank you. Prayers for you. So you're getting prayers too. Yeah, we do need to hate the sin and love the sinner. Um, Get ready to be tested in that real soon. All right. Well, that's, uh, those are our comments right now. These are excellent points. It's, they're all true, good points. The line is open, 818-369-0326. Hopefully we'll be back with you tomorrow. This is what was in my heart. I love people. I love God more than people. But God puts his love in our hearts for people. David, King David, cried out, Do I not hate them that hate you, O God? Do I not hate them that hate you? Could be a big conversation, can it? Could be a really big conversation. Oh, Cindy, I knew that. Cindy, I knew that. She was telling him to behave himself. (laughs) Cindy, I need a haircut again pretty soon. Can we talk about that? God bless you. And by the way, Cindy, I was posting a little bit. It's on her 21-day challenge along with Pastor Mike, and they're knocking it out of the park, and can't we wait to see the transformation my, my beloved wife, Patricia Joy Xavier, who I've been married to for 29 years, quietly came down 30 minutes ago and had a big sign in her hand. We fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And, you know, I kind of wrestled with that a little bit and wanting to fully understand what we're all called to do. I know as a pastor, we're called to build up the church, build God's house. That's the focus. On these radio broadcasts, there's so much conversation and talk going on. And I thought, well, with everything that's happening, maybe we should just put out there what's really important. It's really important. See you tomorrow. Lord willing. God bless you.